on the job with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. It's On The Job, the podcast all about making your working life better. My name is Francis Leach. My name's Sally Rugg and maybe today I'll say something that doesn't necessarily represent the view of my employer. Stay tuned, find out. And your job is to pick what that is and send all your correspondence yeah. to at Sally Rugg on Twitter to see if you're all right. How are you, <laughs> How are you Sally, back in lockdown? Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. I mean, there's a lot of people across the country and back in lockdown at the moment. Pretty miserable. But uh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm all right. Really feeling for a lot of workers across Greater Sydney who have spent the last couple of weeks, you know, without any clear guidance on what is essential work and what isn't. And, you know, we're hearing stories of workers being forced to go to their workplace when they actually could be working at home by bosses who are I don't know, Luddites or just just meanies. Um, yeah, so really feeling for those workers who've had to fight those battles individually rather than having a clear guideline from the top. I couldn't agree more, Sally. It's something I wrote about at Australian Unions, the website this week, the news website, about how this pandemic has once again, as it's flared up, has revealed itself to be a burden that's not equally shared across the entire community. Now, whilst the means of transmission of the disease is indiscriminate and it picks no winners or losers, the structural issues in our society play out that it is actually a burden more for some than for others. And you talk about the Health Services Union uh, and their uh, efforts to make sure that their members going into COVID wards with people who are sick are fully protected with PPE. We talk about people in Western Sydney who live in an area where it's predominantly casualised and insecure work, so the need to work is paramount because if they don't work, there are no entitlements, who work in jobs that are public-facing, often servicing the needs of middle-class communities and making the wheels of comfortable city life uh, turn for those who are more well off. These are the people that are facing the real burden of this pandemic and having to make the tough decisions and are feeling the most financial stress. So it has actually been a real lightning rod to to point out this structural inequity within Australian society. What we do about that and what policymakers and politicians want to do with that is the next battle. But there's no denying that the pandemic you know, has brought very much to bear how we have uh, a two-tiered or maybe three-tiered society in which some people have to carry the burden much more than others. Yeah, we have seen that in the way the virus is spread across various communities, but also have like have you noticed how the vaccine has spread in some parts of Sydney and Greater Sydney? Did you see that one about the private school boys getting vaccinated and and all of Qantas has been offered a vaccine and like I'm not just talking about frontline Qantas staff I'm talking about people who are like you know accountants in the office and doing desk jockey jobs from home and like they're brilliant workers no shade on the workers but it's interesting how a lot of vaccine seems to be finding its way into the arms of people who whose bosses have certain access is kind of what it would seem like from afar. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. So vaccine politics are going to become more and more and vaccine entitlement more and more an issue as this goes on and people get more fatigued with it and more desperate to be fully vaccinated. And it all gets tied into vaccine passports as well. And the idea that you can have uh, the status of a fully vaccinated person and operate differently in society as a consequence. So that's going to form its own hierarchy of privilege in which people are going to want access to the vaccine and will use their financial means or their, their networks to actually do so. So that, it doesn't surprise me that it's happened. 
It still you know, infuriates me what it does. As an extension of that is also the access to coming to the country. So when you see things like Channel 7 getting dispensation to bring in Katie Hopkins, the British tabloid race-baiting, oh, climate-denying no. uber-troll, a neo-Nazi nutcase getting an opportunity to come to this country to participate in a reality TV show, and Caitlyn Jenner as well, when others offshore do not have privileges to come home to their families. What does it say to the wider community about what our values are and how serious this government is and the state governments that might be party to this are in actually enforcing one rule for all and a discipline around that? That's the thing that drives ordinary people absolutely nuts. Yeah, I mean, the Katie Hopkins case in particular is this disgraceful Venn diagram of like a Venn diagram that looks like a circle, right? Of, you know, making a mockery of all the, you know, 40,000 stranded Australian citizens wanting to return home, families who've been separated, adults who haven't seen their parents or their family members for, you know, over a year now because of borders, um, who, who can't get exemptions. So it makes a mockery of, of our borders. And it also makes a mockery of, you know, the fact that we're in a period of time right now where we need to be coming together. We need to be talking about building back better and uh, inclusion and looking after each other and working as a community. We do not need voices like Katie Hopkins on what is is it celebrity big brother it's celebrity something this woman in my in my personal opinion based on my own personal experiences is a disgrace but i do feel quite alarmed at how that will play out over the next you know, if she even makes it onto the show, often these types of things, you know, there's a backlash and she won't even make it on because advertisers will freak out and rightly so. But if she does get on the show, like I'm, I'm really worried about the things that she'll say that will then turn into this sort of debate wheel in the sort of, you know, the papers. And then, you know, next minute we'll have Q&A being like, was Katie Hopkins right to say that lesbians are whatever, you know, <laughs> like... Uh, boring. We don't need any of this during the pandemic. <laughs> Life is hard enough without this rubbish yeah. being visited upon our shores. Anyway, we'll wait and see what happens with that. Hey, we can't be together at the moment because of the pandemic and uh, and and the outbreak. So we're thinking of everyone else uh, in a similar situation. But I managed to sneak in before lockdown and do a, a couple of interviews with some really interesting people. You know how we've been talking of late, and this has been a bit of a theme for us that. Often when we talk about mining communities and mining workers and, and the big issues around uh, climate change that will impact in those particular regions of Australia and elsewhere in the world, first and foremost, that often they get spoken about but never really spoken with. Mm, I mean, the criticism of like inner city Melbourne latte sippers don't have much face-to-face contact with miners in far north Queensland. There's a lot of things wrong with that statement, but like what is correct is like obviously people in inner cities aren't necessarily rubbing shoulders every day with people who are working, you know, in regional mining communities. So what I thought I'd do is I'd catch up with somebody who's just retired from living and working in his town, McKay, in uh, central north, far north Queensland, and to talk about life in mining communities and how things have been in recent times, not just about climate change, but also about casualised work, labour hire workforces, which have uh, become prominent in those communities, which are having a devastating impact in the security and the certainty of young people's, young workers' lives as well. And just his view of life in a northern town, a mining town, from a distance. So let's go and meet Rob Foote. On the Job with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. Rob, welcome to On the Job. Thank you. 
appreciate your uh, allowing me to come on your radio station. No, love having you on. So tell people about the work that you did uh, throughout your career. What sort of work were you doing, Rob? I was working for United Group Resources, which was an engineering firm. They used to have an electrical division. They had a boilermaker section. They had a fitter section. But they also did uh, shutdown work in the central Queensland mines, maintenance work on drag lines, drill rigs, uh, wash plants, all that sort of stuff, and had a huge workforce working for them. And that huge workforce back in the day would have been working in permanent jobs. And, you know, you go to work, you know you've got a job next week, next month, next year. But that's all changed in recent times. It has changed, mate, drastically. People that were on a permanent basis. Well, I was last five years of my working life, I worked for Rio Tinto on a subcontract basis for, through United Group Resources. That was all permanent. One day they came to us and said, uh, big meeting. Every contractor on site, whether it be United Group Resources or others, had to join WorkPack. Now, these WorkPack people, these prostitutes, wanted to reduce my wages by half. By half? Half. How would they yep. justify that, Rob? <laughs> Basically, what it comes down to is climbing the ladder to success on the backs of the working people, and it's as simple as that. Yep. It, it's just disgraceful. I can give you a few uh, instances if you wish. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so tell us about how that looks. You know, it's one thing to say those numbers, but how does that play out when you're in your situation and someone says to you, you've got to join, uh, you've got to work through this labour hire firm and yeah. that your pay cut in half and and, yeah. and all that stuff. What's going on? Yeah, well, I was a rigger dog, a crane operator, and I was on very, very good money. If I had to join this work pack group and everyone had to join, otherwise they just got the sack, just just had to finish. So that put the fear of God into, into people, you know, young people with uh, buying homes, vehicles, uh, debt, and trying to put a decent standard of living for their families. So I'll give you an instance. You had to pay for your own transport, X McKay, to the mine site and back. Now, you could go by bus, which was uh, these people used to take workers out to the central Queensland mines, now, per bus was $80 each way, or you went per your own transport. So if you went per your own transport, you suffered broken windscreens, blown tyres, kangaroo strikes, going to sleep after working night shifts, all this sort of stuff. You had to pay for your own accommodation on site. Now, our firm paid $120 per day. So these new workpack blokes were paying for their own accommodation. You had to pay for inductions. Previously, all the inductions was all all uh, paid for by by the companies that people were working yep. for. So you, you had uh, to pay your own induction. So you had to pay yep. to get trained to do the yep. job they wanted you to do. Yep, yep. And not only that, these inductions weren't held in Mackay they were, or, or Townsville or uh, Rocky or Glaston. They held out of the mine. So you then had to pay your own way out and back to do these inductions. You then had to get a cardboard medical pass, which was about 150 bucks. You had to pay for your own training courses, your safety courses, your trade certificates, rigger dog or crane courses, crane tickets, high risk tickets, uh, heights training certificates, forklift truck, confined space, etc., etc., etc. So that was all. If you got those tickets when you when you did the courses, you got the tickets. 
but in two years' time, you had to do a refresher course. So you had to, <laughs> had to pay again to do a refresher course. You know, they, they've, they've uh, conducted another industry doing this sort of thing. So when you worked out these uh, central Queensland mines for these work pack labour hire people, there was no holiday pay, no sick pay. There's a flat rate of pay, no overtime, no travel paid. And if it rained, haul truck operators sat in the smoker rooms, no pay. Until such time, it was okay to go back. The haul roads were dry enough for them to go back on haul roads, you know. So workers would be faced with a choice of doing that sort of work at that sort of cost and all at their own yep. expense or yep. going without. Is that basically that's right. that's, the situation that's correct. they found yep. themselves in? Yep, that's correct. If you didn't join work back, you're then dismissed. Just like There's that? There's no... Just like that. In fact, I had a mate, and he'd paid for, uh, paid for his holidays on uh, him and his family to go on a, a cruise ship. Now, that had been paid for 12 months prior. He said to the work pack people, look, I've paid for this trip. Is it okay to go? Yep, no problems at all. Two days before he came back to, to start work again, they sent him a text. Your services are no longer required. <laughs> And this is how it was. This, this absolutely, absolutely. And if people questioned any of the safety uh, rules or laws or whatever, they then didn't get any more. Uh, your services are no longer required. You'd got no more, no more uh, ships. And so this is why sim- workers would be reluctant to try to maybe join a union or, or get involved with the with the mining union because they would feel that they would be instantly targeted and then being given no more work. Absolutely. I was a delegate out on site, and uh, with approval from my firm, we we had a pretty good rapport. As I said to the uh, Eastern Australian manager, it's got to be a three-way scene. The client's got to win, the firm's got to win, but the boys have got to win as well. The working people have got to have a win as well. As long as they take us along with them, everything's fine. But uh, if you're a union delegate, you then got shifted on or or no work, and... uh, which is the same thing, and and it's just disgraceful. These people, uh, they don't care about their people, and it was just like a revolving door. As the regular workers from the mines got other jobs or whatever it may be, they were replaced by these work pack people at half the rate. So you'd you'd be a permanent worker working beside one of these work pack blokes, and now you're on X amount of dollars, and they're on half wages. And what's that like for the workers themselves in that environment? I mean, I know the, the union members would be uh, wanting these uh, other workers to join and they'll be fully Absolutely. aware that there's a, almost yep. a caste system now within the yep. workforce there. What's that like on site? That's just toxic, really toxic. It's because uh, they're so frightened to say anything about safety or, or uh, working conditions or whatever it may be. They're not stepping up to the plate to say anything and they're just so frightened. If they do, they've, they've gone, simple as that. And, and these other blokes are left to bear the uh, load, I, I guess you'd, you'd call it, if there is any uh, safety issues or, or, or whatever it may be, you know, negotiating their EPAs at the end of the year and, and stuff like that. Is safety a real issue and concern for you then because of that lack of oversight now? No, oh, absolutely, mate. Uh, I'll tell you how bad this uh, we had a very, very, we had a 100% record insofar as safety is concerned, the firm that I was working for. Very, very good record because if their their safety record wasn't good, 
feeding the, the mine site shifts to get into the safety records, that meant that the firms either got a job or they didn't doing their shutdown work. So that was critical that people performed. Now, the the safety record on site, because of these people uh, having no experience in the uh, outside fields of work, you know, they're employing shelf stackers, hairdressers, all this sort of stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but but when you haven't got practical experience outside in these dangerous uh, conditions, yep. it, it means you're working beside an unsafe person or person that's not, not aware of, of the dangers. And uh, it got that bad that the mine manager shut down uh, for two hours production on the mine site. Every employee had to attend the safety meeting and he pleaded with the people to work safely. And that happened in day shift and night shift. So that, that would have cost billions of dollars in production and uh, all this sort of thing. Yeah, so, you know, it, it was just the safety record, record was you had to be on your metal all the time to be uh, aware of what's going on around you. Rob, what's it done to the communities in central Queensland oh. and far north Queensland, having that lack of certainty and the changing work culture? What's it done for for young oh. families and, and for, for people living in those towns who have been there for generations? Well, it's almost decimated the western uh, towns insofar as uh, uh, shops and, and, and all this sort of thing is concerned. I had a friend uh, just down the road from us, living here in Mackay. He he purchased. A, he was a uh, shutdown worker prior. He saved his money and bought this big uh, food shop, stole small goods, yep. all that sort of stuff. He I approached one day and said, "Hey, you going, mate?" And uh, as I walked through the door, oh, footy, he was nearly crying. He said, "I I can't make a living because of the people aren't getting a regular wage." They're now spending less and less and less. And he said, I've got to close the doors. And they did. I know car salesmen that were uh, marketing uh, new cars, second-hand cars. And there again, the knock-on effect, because people couldn't, in casual work, obtain loans, all that sort of stuff, were really hurting badly. And and this is the knock-on effect that casualisation of the workforce has. On the people. You didn't put up with it. You told them to shove no, it. You retired. No, tell, yeah. tell us about how that unfolded. Absolutely. To you. <laughs> well, I quite I laughed really because I I wanted to do uh, four more years and then retire, but because of this reduction of half pay, all that sort of stuff, I said no. I'm gone. I'm finished. I'm out of the workforce. I'm retired. Five times the management from Rio Tinto approached the leading hands of footy. We don't want you to go. We want you to stay. You're a good worker. You never cause any strife. Uh, we've got a good rapport. We don't want you to go. I said, not for half wages, I want. I said, put me on permanent thing. But there was a directive come out, and I knew this. I was pressing buttons, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and, and I knew that because, you know, the a directive come out and, and the leading hands had showed me, here, have a look at this. We want to employ you on a full-time basis. And this is hush, hush, you know, don't say anything. No, no, that's fine. Uh, no new employees to be employed on a full-time basis. So I retired, but, but five times they asked me to, to reconsider and 
join Workpack. In fact, even when I come back, the last shift, my leading hand from the mine said, oh, which is your car footy? My wife was there to pick me up. Uh, he ran up to the car, knocked on the window and said, oh, Ruth, he said, can you convince footy to uh, stay with us? Because he's a good worker, we don't want to lose him. Ruth said, some people don't realise what they've got until such time as it's gone. <laughs> I was proud of her. I sat there like a rat with a gold tooth, you know. <laughs> oh, dear. Look, it's a terrible uh, situation, but it's a terrible situation, but we feel it's important to let people in the South and elsewhere around Australia know about this because people often absolutely. talk about miners, but uh, they don't talk to miners, yeah. do they? Now, I had a friend in Victoria that worked on dairy farms, and he rallied all the local lads down there and he was sending them up to get jobs in the mines. And prior to this labour uh, glut, I suppose you call it, there was good money to be made. But when you consider that you've got to pay for all those things that I spoke about earlier, they might as well get a job in Woolworths stacking shelves. Not that there's anything wrong with a person doing that, but someone's got to do it. But the big money was gone. It, it, it was and uncertainty of whether they had the next ship or whatever. And this mate of mine was sending these young fellas up, and in the end I rang and said, Christ sakes, don't send any more people up because they'll have a job one day and won't have a job the next. And, and it's so uncertain. They stay on the dairy farms, get a job somewhere else, whatever, but don't send any more people up. And, and that's what happened. Some, and good lads, good working lads. You know, hard working, hard workers, the work ethic had been installed into them from childhood almost. You know, you know there they were, like, you know, not yeah. much dough on dairy farms, and, and uh, but wanted a good standard of living for themselves and the family. So, when, so, Rob, when you see your local politicians like George Christensen and Matt Canavan ah. and these other jokers talking about how yeah. they're for mine workers and they want oh, to take mining jobs, what does it make you think? Oh, it, it just makes me so angry that these bastards don't really know what's going on out in the, out in the workforce, you know. And they don't care. They're all for the top end of town. And that's good. You know, if the top end of town's making dough, well, well it filters down. But not when they, they've turned greedy, uh, climbing on the backs of the working people to, to get to the top. That's not the Australian ethic. That's not the way it uh, should be done. That's the American way. I've been sort of studying this sort of thing for 50-odd years, and it's just wrong. It's just plain wrong. They don't care, mate. They're just all for the top end. Now, I want to ask you while I've got you because, we, as I said, we talk about miners, not two miners enough. You're yeah, that's of, true. That's it, true. It is true. You're part of the world. Obviously, mining is huge, and mining yes. leads into the issue around climate change and the future of, of coal yeah. and carbon industries. What's the yeah. feeling within your community and, and your mates when you talk about this issue and the future yeah. of the way that you see it? Mate, just before we get on to that factor, here's another factor for you concerning these firms. United Group Resources had about 3,800 workers in the central Queensland mines just directly employed through through all these doing this maintenance work. 3,800 people were then dismissed from the firm and I rang a leading hand a while back and from 3,800 people working, there's now six. Six doing maintenance. Six doing maintenance work from the K area. So you ask how how things are going on 
uh, economically for the shopkeepers, etc. There's buildings for lease everywhere. Yeah. They're under big strain, mate. Yeah. So about the uh, climate change and stuff like that, look, people are aware of it. They do care. The vast majority of people do care. But when you're struggling, you're not going to really uh, worry too much about the bloody climate change insofar as changing governments uh, as being a uh, political uh, tactic, I yep. guess you'd call it. Uh, they're worried about putting food on the table and, and banking a few dollars if they can for their family to get a better standard of living. I was talking to uh, some work, workers in the uh, engineering facility a while back, and they haven't had a rise for five years. Mm. Five years, you know, like. <laughs> and yet these, these companies, the firms they're working for, the manager drives around the Mercedes-Benz and, and uh, goes on the overseas holidays, you know, yep. prior COVID, et cetera, uh, and splashes money around like a man with 14 arms. But, you know, it's uh, – and when these blokes haven't had a rise, you know, Woolworths don't hold their prices up for five years. The local council sending the rates out there and hold their prices up for five years. Uh, the shopkeeper can't afford to either. And, you know – it's just frightening. No, look, there's a political uh, tactic. Uh, yep, people got to start looking after your uh, environment, etc. Climate change, address that. But when your family's struggling to put food on the table, uh, that's not the top priority. Priority is regularity of work, etc. Rob. Thank you so much for, for talking to us. I appreciate your time and your honesty. And uh, uh, what's what are you doing today? Another sunny, perfect day in Queensland for you? Mate, I'm making some fishing <laughs> fishing lures uh, so that I can get out and, and uh, tag and release a few fish. Enjoy. <laughs> I will, mate. I really enjoy it. I'm really enjoying these. Uh, I've worked hard all my life. And now's the time to reap the benefits, and I am. I play guitar, and I've written 400 songs. Uh, I go to the men's shed, I make walking sticks and fishing lures, and uh, heading up the retired division of AMW, and I'm just having a ball. It's, it's just awesome. Go up and play uh, and sing for the oldies up in the old people's homes, and, yeah, it's just not enough hours in the day. I'm having a ball. Good on you, mate. Thanks for being on the job with us. Right, Francis. Thank you very much, and I hope uh, this helps in some way. And I hope the people out in uh, Radio Land listen to this little thing because it's the truth. Uh, I'm not the only one that is affected. Uh, it's a big, big issue. And the amount of lies that were told during that last election and not contradicted by the uh, Labor people was a disgrace, absolute disgrace. The amount of lies George Christian used to stand up to people and tell everyone that he has cared for the people uh, and Canavan and all those blokes. It's just criminal. It wasn't addressed, and uh, yeah, I hope that hope this helps in some way adjusting that imbalance. Rob Foot, there, retiree, North Queenslander, proud Queenslander, for, and uh, from the town of Mackay. I always thought it was Mackay, but he's been there his whole life, so I'm saying Mackay from now. I'm not messing with Rob. Uh, he had a great, <laughs> great conversation with us, uh, and it sort of he paints a really um, 
a vivid picture about how these communities now are dealing with the casualization of workforces, no certainty when it comes to work, you can't get a house loan, you can't do anything because you don't have those entitlements and then you've got the pressure around mining and uh, the environmental issues as well. And it's a really high-pressure environment these days, Sally. Yeah, super high-pressure. And also, like, all of these things are linked, right? The hyper-casualization of the workforce is created so that companies like these big mining enterprises, you know, whatever huge profit-sucking company it is, like, can profiteer more, can just, like, make more and more money. And so, the same way that the companies are exploiting resources from the ground and exploiting our natural habitat and our ecosystems and, you know, land, water and air, it's the same exploitation of these workers. And also these communities, because when these jobs are eventually casualised to pieces or automated or, you know, these companies can no longer extract fossil fuels from the ground because the writing's on the wall in that regard, it's these families and these communities who are going to be left (laughs) exploited the same way that the ground has been, the same way that, you know, our environment has been. And so I really feel for the, the predicament and I think Rob is completely right. How could you possibly expect someone who's working their guts out in really precarious situations to care for their family to then turn around and advocate for like <laughs> them to lose that job altogether. It's really tricky stuff. It is, but it's important to have that conversation because that uh, the options that are going to be made available to those communities are key to getting those communities and uh, on board with the changes that we need to make. Uh, it's not good enough for Matt Canavan and George Christensen and all these MPs from that part of the world and senators from that part of the world to smear coal dust on their face so they can put that in their Twitter profile and say that they represent mining work when they're doing bugger all or absolutely nothing mm. around the casualised nature of the workforce that they're, they're representing and, and the communities that are suffering as a consequence. Anyway. Like you and I, Francis, we're not going to be in the room. We're not going to be responsible for developing policies and plans for these communities and we're not pretending that we are. But the thing is, is neither should people like Senator Matt Canavan or, you know, a lot of people in that building and it really should be be people like Rob and like his family and his community who need to be at the centre of creating a plan for a just transition and a a safe transition for their families, yeah. Absolutely right, Sally. These are the people, they want a future and if you can offer them a future without coal, they'll grab it with both hands but it's up to us to listen to them and their needs and then work with those communities because the opportunities are enormous when it comes to renewable energy industries and jobs and technologies that are going to provide uh, you know, jobs for generations to come, but because we're so locked into a cycle of uh, of an old industry that's delivered financial security and, and great wealth to this country, and we're uh, not prepared to take that uh, jump off the plank into a future. It's it's slipping away from us. We can see it already. We've heard European uh, governments talking about putting a price on Australian products because of their their carbon base. So we're going to be priced out of future markets anyway because we haven't made those adjustments. The world's moving on without us, and we at this stage, given this government's posture, are not willing or able or ideologically aligned to actually make the changes that are going to be necessary, which will be even more painful later on when they become unavoidable. Do you know what I wish? I wish we lived on a continent that was like really sunny and really windy and surrounded by ocean. That I mean, that's what's really missing at the end of the day. Do you reckon you could sort that out for us over the next week? <laughs> 
Yeah, I'll, I'll have a word to the manager. Good on you, mate. Good to talk to you again. Uh, stay well in your uh, in your COVID cave. Have you gone full Ugg boot in this lockdown like I have? Or, uh, <laughs> yes, actually, and I'm wearing them right now. My partner, Kate, bought these like really ugly sort of like fluffy sock things, but they've got rubber spots on the bottom. So you, it's like it kind of like makes it permissible to sort of wear them for the whole day. So it's like, no, they're like anti-slip shoes, um, which I'm wearing right now. So <laughs> well, enjoy the warmth and the comfort and we'll catch you next week. Catch you next time. Bye. Don't forget you can follow Sally at Sally Rug on the social medias. Also, give us a rating on your favourite platform, iTunes, Wherever you listen to your podcast, give us a review. It helps other people find the pod. And uh, we will be back next week with another edition of On The Job. Bye for now.